Hello and welcome to the SB Nation College Football Recruiting Podcast. This is Bud Elliott, Director of National Recruiting for SB Nation. And uh, yeah, we named it the College Football Recruiting Podcast because everybody else who does a recruiting podcast tried to get way too cute and nobody managed to grab the obvious SEO play. So there it is. Always try to open this up by discussing the recent big time commitments since the last time we podcasted, which was about a week or 10 days ago. Kylan Hill, a really good running back, ended up going to Mississippi State. That's a, a big-time get for uh, the Bulldogs there. Dan Mullen, nice pickup, and, and you know they'll be able to use him very effectively in that spread option offense. Uh, Braxton Burmeister, four-star quarterback out of Arizona, ended up going back to Arizona. He was initially an Arizona commit and then uh, decommitted, and people thought he might look around at some California schools and uh, maybe at uh, – some of the Oregon schools, and in fact, he goes back to Arizona, which gives uh, Arizona two four-star quarterback commitments in the class of 2017. And by Arizona, I mean the state of Arizona, because Ryan Kelly, uh, as we mentioned on the last episode, ended up committing uh, to to Arizona State after decommitting from Oregon. So uh, very nice hauls there for Rich Rodriguez and Todd Graham with those two Arizona schools. Uh, Derek Tucker. A safety out of Manville, Texas, ended up committing to Texas A&M. A lot of people, including myself, uh, were surprised about this. A lot of people who cover Texas, uh, the state of Texas recruiting scene, uh, they were very surprised by that. I've written before and discussed on the podcast how recruits are taking more of a wait-and-see approach with the Longhorns and with the Aggies this year because of all the turmoil they've had on the field in recent seasons and and some turmoil off. Uh, And they're kind of taking that wait-and-see approach and looking to see if those coaching staffs are still going to be around. But but not every recruit is doing that. Some are indeed uh, committing to, to those schools still. And, and here Derek Tucker, a four-star safety for A&M, is, is uh, just what they needed. Brian Jones, a defensive lineman out of Louisiana, ended up committing to Ole Miss. Uh, I think everybody in the industry took a look at this, and they said, I, you know, Brian Jones is a versatile player. He's a good player. Why didn't LSU offer? And if LSU is going to offer, will that shake things up? And, and the presumption oftentimes is if LSU ends up offering a kid, then, then things really are going to change quite a bit. At this point, Ole Miss gets a kid out of Louisiana who does not have an LSU offer, but whom a lot of the rating services really like. We'll see if LSU later on in the game offers him, and if so, I think that recruitment could get turned on its head. All right, uh, now on to some items that I wrote about this week. Uh, first, uh, I, I took a look at some teams that are off to surprising starts, and, and I looked at the top 15 of the recruiting rankings. And, and every year I discuss how recruiting is just really horribly static uh, as from year to year. The, the top teams pretty much remain the top teams. It's incredibly difficult to, to burst into that top echelon of recruiting. Uh, right now you have schools like Maryland, North Carolina, Iowa, Northwestern, Oklahoma State, um, probably a few other ones that I'm forgetting, kind of in that top 15. And I looked at it and I said, I, I think about eight or nine of the top 15 will, will probably stick around come signing day. And then I tried to identify one team that is uh, potentially going to stick around that's not typically a blue blood. And maybe you wouldn't normally expect them to be in that, that elite uh, class of recruiting. And the team I identified, I think, is going to be North Carolina. Uh, because Carolina did win, what, 11 games last year, 12 games, uh, lost their last two in the AC title game and then the bowl game to Baylor, but had a very strong year otherwise. Uh, 
Larry Fedora is building something there in Carolina, they have a, a pretty strong chance to again be the class of that coastal division. And if they have another really good year, that's back-to-back years. And so they're able to tell kids, hey, we, we've been able to sustain success on the field with this level of recruit. Imagine what we can do with a little bit better level of recruit. And now kids are going to buy those promises that Fedora and his class are, are handing out more. Compare that to Maryland, which is off to a really great start on a recruiting trail, but at the same time, that they're in that, that Eastern Division of, of, of the Big Ten with Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State and Michigan State. That's really tough. Maryland's best case this year is probably, what, seven wins? Uh, so that, that's that's going to be tougher to sell to elite recruits. I, I think it's very possible that Maryland could hold on to what it has currently, but I'm not sure how many other elite recruits are going to jump on and typically to finish with a top 15 class, at least over the last, uh, in this decade, you, you need about 10, four or five star commitments. Uh, so given that, it seems unlikely to me that Maryland is, is going to be able to stick up there compared to UNC, who I think is, is a, a more talented area and potentially could have more success on the field to sell to recruits. The next thing I looked at, and I didn't write on this, I made it at a later date, uh, but it kind of went hand in hand, is, is what are some of the teams who are, are not off to very good starts uh, and, and why? Oregon has just two commitments in the class, and, and signing day is, is not for another seven, eight months, so that's not necessarily a huge deal. But again, they, they, they just lost their, their quarterback commitment, uh, Ryan Kelly, who, who flipped to Arizona State. Oregon really does need to have, I, I think, kind of a bounce back here on the field. Um, there are some people who see that program as having peaked by going to the national title game with Marcus Mariota. I don't know that I'm necessarily a hundred percent in that camp, but they don't, they don't all, they don't really have that much momentum right now on a recruiting trail and they're hurt because they're not in a very talented area of the country. They, they have to go out of state. And, and last year, uh, especially defensively, they really just were not all that impressive. So, Interesting that Oregon only has two commitments right now. I wonder if recruits are kind of in wait-and-see mode, especially on the defensive side of the football with the Ducks. Uh, Vanderbilt has no commitments. That is uh, that's potentially troubling, and more so than Oregon, because I feel like Oregon has the cachet to to bounce back and, and land some commitments. Right now, Vanderbilt having zero is... Uh, I think that's, that's concerning. Um, you know, Derek Mason has not done a good job there on the field. And, and I think whatever you think of James Franklin as a coach, Derek Mason struggles in recruiting at Vanderbilt, along with everybody else who struggles in recruiting at Vanderbilt, with the exception of James Franklin, I think show what a great recruiter James Franklin really is and what a tough job Vanderbilt is to recruit to. I and mean, that, that's clearly the worst job in the SEC. Uh, and Mason is making it look like the worst job. He's making it look like what I thought it was and what Vanderbilt fans got mad at me for back in the day when I, when I said, I, I think this is lightning in a bottle and not sustainable. And maybe Vanderbilt will be better on the field this year. Maybe they'll pick up some commitments at their upcoming summer camps. Maybe if they're better on the field, they'll, they'll pick up a couple down the stretch. But uh, you just don't hear, you don't hear talented kids talking about Vanderbilt at all. It's just not, there's not a dynamic recruiting presence there with that staff, uh, and if that continues, you wonder how long that staff will be there. But that that's kind of been the history of Vanderbilt. A very, very little sustained success ever revolving door of staffs because you know, you just, it, 
it's hard to win there. Really hard. Not when you have you know, Georgia and Florida and Tennessee and, and now South Carolina and Missouri and Kentucky in that division. I think all those teams are, are pretty clearly more talented. Uh, but then maybe maybe Vandy will have a nice year this year. They, they have played pretty good defense under Mason. The offense has just been a, a, atrocious. Finally, uh, Ole Miss sitting at number 46. Uh, I found that to be a little bit interesting. Uh, there's some speculation out there in the recruiting world that uh, – and before I say this, let me say, I believe that all teams compete at the highest levels or who compete at the highest levels for recruits are uh, bending or breaking the rules. I don't think that Old Miss's Laramie Tunzel stuff is unique to Old Miss. I, I, I don't. I think people notice Old Miss a little bit more because Old Miss doesn't really have any tradition of winning. And so when they land a kid, people's eyebrows kind of perk up and say, Wait, why would he go to Ole Miss when he could go to one of these schools that has developed more NFL talent and has a tradition of winning and, and has rings and championships and all that type of stuff? I, I just think Ole Miss is playing the game similar to how other schools are, are playing the game. Uh, but you do wonder if uh, – I do kind of wonder if Ole Miss might take a little step back um, in this situation because of, of, of the NCAA investigation. Maybe they – Maybe they try to be extra clean this year and, and just keep their nose at everything. If there's some recruits uh, about whom maybe some whispers are that he's uh, uh, potentially for sale, maybe we see Ole Miss uh, sit a couple more of those out this year than than normally a, a big-time recruiting school would. I don't know. We'll, we'll, have to see, uh, we'll have to see what's going to go on with that. Uh, next thing I wrote about this week was that Oklahoma is uh, kicking ass in Texas. They have five blue chip recruits from the state of Texas. That's as many as they've had in any class this decade. And it looks like uh, Oklahoma, who is currently number two in the recruiting rankings behind just Ohio State, could be on its way to their best recruiting class this decade. And the re- why is my question. They've really not been great at recruiting lately, but they had a dynamic transfer come in in Baker Mayfield and a quarterback is the most important position on the field, and it's oftentimes the face of the program. Under Mayfield, they have a great season. They did lose to Texas, but they, they managed to go to the college football playoff before getting stomped by Clemson. I think kids noticed that, uh, the, the great year, not not the stomping. Um, I think kids noticed that, certainly, and they say, hey, Texas and Texas A&M just simply do not present as, as stable options right now compared to Oklahoma, and, and I think that Oklahoma season – is causing more kids to perk up and, and look at the centers. And if they follow that up with another Big 12 title, uh, last year I think was their first outright Big 12 title uh, in in five or six years, if I, if I recall Googling that correctly. If they follow that up with another conference title and they send more kids to the league, I think you're going to see more and more Texas kids start to take a look at them. Of course, some of that, well, some of that will, will depend on, on how the Longhorns and the Aggies do and, and – Oklahoma has done a good job of, of taking advantage of a lot of these Texas kids being in wait-and-see mode with the Texas schools and offering that stability. Nobody thinks Bob Stoops is going anywhere. Charlie Strong and Kevin Sumlin certainly could. Uh, next thing I wanted to point out this week is that uh, satellite camps are indeed being uh, held all over the country starting next month. And uh, look where they're being held. Very interesting. Tennessee announced that they are going to uh, hold 
a satellite camp uh, at the high school of the number one rated offensive tackle in the country. Uh, I know Michigan's holding one at the home of the number one running back in the country. Uh, so the, this is what we said from the start. Satellite camps are not about giving kids more opportunities. They're about recruiting, and that's fine. But let's just drop the charade. It, it, they're about recruiting. They're a recruiting tool. Satellite camps are not creating more scholarship opportunities for kids. Why? Because there's not more scholarships being created. The same number of scholarships are being given out every year. Now, you might want to argue that more kids have a chance to be discovered, and so the, the process is becoming more efficient. And I think that's certainly possible. But on the, on the other hand, I would argue that the, where these schools are having these camps are not in underexposed areas. Uh, you know, the, the talented areas in Tennessee, having them all in South Florida – those are not underexposed areas. If you're a good player in South Florida, you're probably going to be discovered because there's a million media down there that follow this stuff. Every single school in the country follows and, and recruits that area. This is just another way to recruit down there. Uh, I, somebody said on Twitter, and I forgot who it was, but I, I agree with it. Uh, when, I, when I see Jim Harbaugh having Michigan satellite camps in Montana, then I'll buy this idea that they're looking for undiscovered talent. Uh, that, that's, that's just not the case. So, uh, Nick Saban offered an eighth grader. It seemed like some traditional media got angry about that. Um, you know, I don't mind it. And typically recruiting media doesn't care about it either. Some old school traditional media will, will go up in arms about this like they do every summer. Here's my official stance on offering eighth graders. Uh, if the eighth grader plays like a 10th grader, then you should offer him. If he if plays like an eighth grader, he's not going to get an offer. It's not like there's an epidemic of, of offers to kids that are way too young. It, it's it's a very select group of kids, maybe 50, maybe 100 nationally, that ultimately get these offers. And a lot of times you don't even hear about it. Uh, but there are certain kids who develop quicker than their, their classmates and in eighth grade look like 10th graders. They should be evaluated like that and they should be offered like that because it's important to start if you're a school to start recruiting these kids. And if you're a kid, you can argue that, that getting that offer uh, can help help you let, let you know that you're on the right track and that it's important to start taking your academics very seriously in your freshman year so you don't have to end up being an academic redshirt casualty. Uh, other news item of the week, offensive tackle uh, Trey Smith is now the number one uh, offensive tackle in the country on, I believe, 247 Sports. I want to credit... ESPN for this one. They've actually had him as the number one overall player in the country uh, for, for quite a while. And everybody says, oh, this, this recruiting service sucks. And this recruiting service sucks. In fairness, that they really, they don't. Uh, this is not an easy thing to do. It's very difficult to identify players early. Um, the rankings are constantly evolving. And every recruiting service has some blind spots and, and has some strengths. And uh, I, I think ESPN is pretty good at breaking down tape, and they, they clearly like what they saw from Trey Smith. Uh, I may not like their stuff out on the West Coast as much as I like uh, Scouts because I feel like Scout is, is better staffed out there and has better connections out there. Uh, that's why I think it, it, taking a blending of the four recruiting services is typically a very good idea, and that's why we use the 247 Sports Composite on Espionation for our recruiting coverage because I, I, I like to, to incorporate all, all the good, bright people at these recruiting services uh, employ, you know, I, I want to incorporate Mike Farrell. And I, I want to incorporate Rob Casty of Rivals, and I want to incorporate Chad Simmons and Greg Biggins of Scout. And 
and Jerry Hamilton and Jeremy Crabtree of, of ESPN and, and Barton Simmons and those guys from 247. I think there's a lot of a lot of smart minds in this business. Why not try, try to, to, to take the collective of the, the, the collective of their opinion? Now on to some reader questions. Of course, if you have reader questions for this, please just tweet them at me. That's at SBN Recruiting. Uh, first one, in order to be a top recruiting school, you need tradition, a good location, or both. Are there any exceptions to this? So let's look at the best recruiting teams of the last uh, four years and, and just generally the strong recruiters, and we'll go down and we'll see if we can spot one. Alabama has both. Ohio State has both. LSU has both. Notre Dame uh, has only one. That would be tradition. They do not have a good recruiting location, but at the same time, they have so much tradition that they can recruit nationally, pretty much. Florida State has both. Auburn has both. Georgia has both. USC has both. Michigan, I'm going to say has both because the state of Michigan is not a bad state uh, for recruiting. It's, it's not a great one, but it's not terrible. Uh, UCLA doesn't have great tradition, obviously, but they do have a very good recruiting state to recruit in. Texas A&M uh, has the recruiting state, not really the tradition. Clemson uh, has sort of a, a mix of good and good. Not great tradition, not a great recruiting state, but uh, solid in both and, and a true commitment to uh, to, to winning there. Tennessee has, has some tradition. Uh, the state is kind of similar to Michigan. It's okay. It's not great, but they're very close to other very talented states. Texas has, has both. Florida has both. Ole Miss uh, is close to some very talented states and is close to some junior colleges. Doesn't really have, have any tradition. Oklahoma has uh, <clears throat> has more tradition and is right next to Texas. Uh, Miami, just going down the list here. You know, uh, I, I think Oregon, could you, you, you could argue, Oregon has been a top 25 recruiting team over the last four years, and they don't really have a lot of tradition, and they definitely don't have a good recruiting area. But at the same time, I, I think they've been so good and so popular over the last decade uh, that, that recruits, that tradition is relevant to a point, but the most important tradition is the tradition that, that you've been accruing of late, and Oregon has certainly been accruing a lot of impressive tradition over the last 10 years. So going down the list here, I I would say uh, no, probably not. Uh, there not too many exceptions. If you don't have a strong tradition or strong recruiting area, not necessarily a strong recruiting state, but at least a strong recruiting area where, where you're you're close to a lot of talent, uh, then it's very difficult to to get that talent to your school as, as the, the results prove. Um, you know, Michigan State doesn't have great tradition. It's in a state that's, you know, decent, like we said, and, and they recruited the top 25 level, but uh, not not too many here. That, that's, that's a good question and, and a good point. Our next question is, uh, how much does getting a head coach from a well-known college to be your head coach help? And the specific question is uh, about UCF's recruiter, who hired Scott Frost, the office coordinator of the Oregon Ducks, had a lot of success there. Uh, can can say that, that he coached Marcus Mariota. I, I think that certainly does help. Uh, obviously, it helps a lot if kids are familiar with the school from which you came, and it helps a lot more if uh, if they are familiar with the work you did at that school. Certainly, I think kids are familiar with what, what Oregon did. Uh, Scott Frost can also say he was a pretty good option quarterback for Nebraska. Uh, 
will help a ton. I, I don't know. I, I think getting George O'Leary out and getting a, a younger, more recruiting-focused staff will certainly help, although USCF did lose Brent Key to Alabama, which hurts because he's a really good recruiter himself, their, their former offensive line coach. Uh, and some people thought the, the heir to the head coaching throne there at UCF. Another another school I would take a look at here is, is Illinois. Uh, their head coach, Lovey Smith, didn't come from a well-known college team. He came from the NFL. He coached Tampa Bay Bucks, and he, most importantly, he took the Chicago Bears to the Super Bowl in the state in which he's now coaching college. And I do think kids will uh, remember that. Their their coaches and their parents will certainly remember that. I think that could definitely help Illinois. Recruit. I don't think Illinois is going to be turned around overnight, but there's certainly a chance for Illinois to recruit better than they have been recruiting. So, yes, it certainly can help. It, it's not going to be the only thing that matters, but it, it, it doesn't hurt. Our next question is, uh, will more kids take the sign after national signing day approach like Demetrius Robertson? Uh, we've written about this before, and, and I feel like the key here is, for certain kids, the benefit of waiting probably outweighs the benefit of signing the national letter of intent, which essentially locks in your spot for a college, except when it doesn't. Uh, but only a certain, very select few kids had the talent to tell colleges that they're going to wait to sign and, and instead just enroll right before, right before classes start or in, enroll several months after the school year, or after, uh, after the signing day date is. So those kids are typically your, your very high four stars or your no doubt five stars. So maybe about 40 or 50 kids could get away with doing this uh, nationally. Should they all? I, I think more of them should consider it. And I think some probably will because you just never know when a coach is going to leave, especially not for the NFL or, or get fired. Heck, we, we saw Illinois fire his coach uh, very late in, in, in the game. And um, it does happen every year. Typically, not a bunch, but, but it's a possibility. I, I think if you know where you want to go, and, and you're very certain, and you're and you're very attached to the school, and not just the head coach. Then sure, go ahead and sign it. But I think a few kids might might try it. And if they're the the talented kids, then they may get burned, or excuse me, then they'll probably probably work out for them. I do think the uh, the possibility that kids who are not as talented try this are are more more likely to to get burned because schools are going to be like, yeah, we're, we're just not going to wait on you. You're not that good. We'll, we'll just go get somebody else. You don't really have a true difference maker level of talent. Uh, why, next question is, uh, why is UF's recruiting not up to par to UT and UGA after a fresh breath and success? Uh, kind of a wonkily written question there. I've taken this to mean that UF fans are not seeing the quote-unquote uh, new coach smell bounce that, that I've written about previously, and that is typically the, the, the first full class after a coach signs, which, which would be uh, the, the, the last class there for Jim McElwain, and, and then the class after are, are the real important classes that oftentimes make or break a coach's tenure. And UF is recruiting well, but, but not quite as well as you might expect a school like Florida to, certainly not as well as they did um, under Urban Meyer or under the first couple of years of Will Muschamp. Of course, recruiter, coaching matters a lot too, and as, as we saw with Will Muschamp, uh, whose coaching stint was kind of a disaster there. But you got to admit, it's a tough spot for Jim McElwain. Um, look, full disclosure, I, I also run 
Tomahawk Nation, which is the Florida State website for SB Nation. So people will take this as hating, but I'm not. I'm just going to stick strictly with the numbers here. Uh, Florida, over the last three classes, has signed 23 blue chip players. Florida State has signed uh, 48. That's more than double of that of the Gators. And Miami has signed 23 as well. So exactly the same number as Florida has signed. I, I do think McIlwain is probably a good coach. But they started off so well last year. And then when, when Will Greer got, got popped for, uh, for, for performance-enhancing drugs or substances or, or whatever officially that was, and that team just totally went into the tank, I, I think they lost a lot of momentum. I'm going to be very interested to see what happens in the SEC East this year. If Florida can continue its winning streak against Tennessee, and Tennessee does not live up to the promise when, when really this is the year that they should be pegged to live up to that promise, if that happens, I think you could see Florida get a bit of a recruiting boost for, for saying, hey, we are on schedule. This rebuild after Will Muschamp is happening. Um, come on board, and, and I think that's that's a big thing for them. But but losing uh, all but one of the games to, to Jimbo Fisher on, under under Fisher's tenure at Florida State certainly has not helped. And we'll have to see what Georgia does with, with Kirby Smart. Yeah, they've also had some some staff uh, turnover and a little bit a little bit of a staff turmoil there uh, at at Florida, and they, they lost some kids down the stretch that they didn't think they were going to lose. And um, you, you got to be able to close. We, we we've seen this problem with other schools before, and some rectify it, and and some do not. But I definitely think the the really great start followed up by the terrible uh, finish on the field was was not a a great. It was not great sequencing for Florida. Uh, you know, they, they smoked Old Miss. They came back to beat Tennessee. All that stuff at the time was great. The Swamp was rocking, and they were doing really well. And then Greer goes down, and they have to play Trayon Harris, who can't play at all. And the, the, the wheels just kind of come off of that program on the field. Next, I have a, a question from a parent. Uh, the uh, woman's son was a varsity quarterback as a sophomore. He switched schools. This is in Texas, uh, and is now uh, most likely going to be a safety due to the fact that his new school has a senior uh, returning as a quarterback. Uh, and do uh, will do? Do I think him not being able to start for two years as a quarterback will hurt his chances of being recruited? And so I asked some questions. I said, "Hey, is the the kid that they have playing as a senior any good, uh, or is he just starting?" because of seniority, and I really didn't get a clear answer on that. Uh, but I did ask the second question. I said, is the kid being recruited? And the woman t uh, told me that she doesn't think so. So just my very cursory 10,000-foot view on this is that if, if your son, if, if the kid is starting at quarterback for reasons of seniority as opposed to, to talent, that's that's disappointing because I feel like like the best players should play. Uh, if the kid is if the kid is just beating out your kid and he's not getting recruited, then I really am not sure how good your kid is. Uh, that just I don't have an, a whole lot of information to work with on this question. Uh, I, I wish I had more information on on the the kid returning, but just generally I I feel like. Yes, if if you only have one year of starting experience as a uh, as a varsity quarterback, 
that will hurt you with, with your college recruiting because colleges are not going to be able to watch your, your film with your new school in, until after your senior year. And, and because of the timetable that quarterback recruiting often operates on, which is colleges trying to get their, their quarterbacks locked up as soon as possible, um, that, that, could, that could be to his detriment. I would recommend that he goes, if he actually has college talent, which I don't know that he does, uh, I'd, I'd recommend that he go to some camps and some quarterback camps next summer and, and try to get noticed and, and say, hey, I'm, I'm a quarterback. Uh, I just happen to be a backup. Uh, because that is a tough situation. We've seen that before. Uh, I can remember Price Wilson, who is now at Louisiana Tech, uh, was a backup until his senior year behind a kid who actually ended up signing with Alabama. Uh, but that's perhaps a different situation here if, if the returning quarterback for for this team is, is not necessarily a, a college prospect. Finally, uh, will the Baylor news impact recruiting? Uh, all kinds of stuff swirling about Baylor. I don't know what if it's true and what if it's not uh, as far as the uh, investigations of assault and sexual assault and domestic violence. Clearly, recruiting is like so, so secondary to that. I mean, that, that's, that's a really serious, important issue. Recruiting, not so much. Um, I... If I had to guess, and this would just be a guess, I do think it will impact recruiting. I, that seems obvious to me. To the extent that it will impact recruiting, I really don't know. I'm not sure that it would be appropriate for me to speculate because I don't know exactly who did or did not do what at this point and who's responsible for what and, and the ramifications or, or whatever penalties or fallout will come down. Uh, I, I just don't know. And so I wish I had a better answer for you, but I feel like we all should just kind of be in wait-and-see mode on this, especially when it comes to something that's that's so secondary to the main issue uh, as, as recruiting is. Oh, uh, one thing that I forgot to mention this week is that uh, Notre Dame actually landed the number one dual-threat quarterback in the class of 2018, Phil Jerkovec, and that's something I wrote about uh, as well. Notre Dame has done a great job recruiting quarterbacks. And now people kind of got mad online about saying this because they, they may not have developed in, into NFL talent yet, although I think Deshaun Kaiser will be a, a high NFL draft pick when all is said and done. But great quarterback recruiting not only can help you become a great team, and Notre Dame has been a really good team under Brian Kelly, but it can also help you avoid disaster seasons. And Notre Dame really has not had the disaster, just everything fall apart season under Notre Dame, and I, I, I are at Notre Dame, I think one of the reasons you can argue is because of his quarterback recruiting. He's done a great job. Jerkovic out, out of Western Pennsylvania uh, is a really, really talented kid. And 6'5", 200, great athleticism, big-time arm. Um, just a player who I, I think kids are going to want to flock to and play with, assuming he sticks with Notre Dame. Should be a good recruiter for them as well. So that, that's a big name off the board there for the class of 2018. With that, I hope you all have a great weekend. Uh, make sure to share this on Facebook and Twitter if you enjoy it. Trying to grow it, going to bring on some more guests uh, and make it even more fun, more interactive with, with the listeners. And uh, Pretty happy where this is going after just four episodes. So continue to share it. We always appreciate the support. Have a great weekend.